The most useful dimension of the Enneagram begins when we move beyond the typology and develop an awareness of how we interact with others and carry ourselves in the world. Aphoria wants to invite coaches, therapists, and organizational development practitioners in applying the Enneagram in areas of inclusivity, leadership, and team dynamics. Visit aphoriapartners.com for more information on deepening your knowledge and practice of the Enneagram. That's aphoriapartners.com or click the link in the show notes. We're back with another episode uh, on the International Enneagram Association podcast, and we have the one and only Russ Hudson. Russ, how you doing? I'm doing all right. Awesome. Good and uh, we know you as a foodie. Have you had any like phenomenal food? <laughs> yes. You know, one, if you are a foodie, you come to San Francisco and you, you got to know where to go. There's yes. some very good eating in this in this city. And yeah, I've been to a few of the finer restaurants what while is, I've been here. What is one dish that gave you chills? Oh boy. Mm. Um, let me say, what what pops to my mind first, I went with a group of friends. We went to a, a place called Atelier Crenn, which was created by um, the chef Dominique Crenn. Mm. She's the highest rated woman chef in the world. Mm. She has three wow. Michelin stars. Wow. And uh, just celebrated... Uh, the television show Chef's Table that's mm-hmm. on oh, wow. Netflix. Yeah. Yep. The first mm-hmm. episode was her. Okay. Oh, so she's yes. she's really cool lady. She's French originally, and she just started a restaurant in Paris, bringing California cuisine to the French. Wow. So I think that's no pretty way. fun and cool. But wow. she's endlessly creative, and I, you know, I just remember at the table they just this little appetizer that started the meal, which would be hard for me to describe like a liquid center and we just got that it's the first thing everybody popped it in their mouth i just saw my guests just start giggling (laughs) (laughs) it was so yummy that they were just like giggling oh my gosh so that was you know there's good food and then there's really good food and you know can eat like that all the time but it's certainly a nice thing once in a while yes sure it's beautiful uh, well, another thing uh, that some people might not know about you is that you do some DJ work last night <laughs> as well. Uh, yeah. What's one or two words about what, how your experience was last night? How was it? Well, you know, I've been DJing these uh, events for a number of years. Um, <laughs> I do it for free, so I think I, I, that gives me a little in. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I, I just always have a blast seeing the dance floor fill up. And yeah. these people, have been. we've been here at the conference and getting into heavy explorations and talking about you know weighty topics. And then just everybody gets out and starts to move and groove and have a great time. And that's, that's always fun for me. Mm. It's always fun for me, too, to sort of figure out what, music I can play that will move them as a crowd. Mm. Hmm. I'm always telling people who want to do this, I said, there's two rules. One, don't play what you like. Play what you sense this particular group of people will respond to. And two, do not stoop to doing a wedding playlist (laughs) (laughs) where you play the obvious war horses that everybody's heard 10,000 times. Like there's certain songs we really don't need to hear again. Mm -hmm. So so there's a happy middle ground there that tends to really create a good festive environment. I love that. I love that. 
My head went immediately to macho, macho man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there are certain songs we really don't need to hear. Do you really? And and they're like wedding songs. If you uh-huh. go to a wedding or if you're Jewish, you go to a bar mitzvah, you know, there are certain things you always hear. Celebrate good times. <laughs> yes. Come on. Yeah. yeah. It's just, it, that's like too, too easy. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. How you were describing though, um, picking the music, it, kind of reminds me of how I feel like I've experienced and hear you, heard you talk about how you teach. How so? In that year, you are not just playing, you know, what what might help people stay comfortable or what is most familiar, but you're inviting people in the moment to see what else is here. Yeah, yeah. that's that's true. I, I will play some that I know everybody knows, and then mm-hmm. I'll stick in a few things that I think they'll respond to physically, emotionally, whatever, but maybe they haven't heard. And and I, I love just the sense of expanding people's horizons. I think that's why I chose to do this work, really. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know, that's why I got into the Enneagram. Yeah. So you just said expanding horizons, and I, I appreciate the segue. I'm going to reflect it back to you, <laughs> <Okay>. right? <laughs> um, as we are here at the Enneagram conference while we're recording now, yes, we aren't sure when our listeners might join the conversation, right? right. Um, and so having the opportunity to speak to um, an unknown audience about how they might expand their own horizons on working with the Enneagram or what our sort of next steps are. You've been in this space for a very long time, mm-hmm. and a lot has evolved in that time. I'm sure it has in your teaching, I know, and in your perception of the journey, right? Yes. So in the modern day, 2023, right now, where do you see good next steps for our community as an Enneagram collaborative well, I think there's enough people who've actually been on the journey for a while that we have individuals who can meet new people coming in from different levels of preparation or understanding coming into it. Some people have been on a spiritual path for a long time, so there's a way of responding to them. Some people have just been living their life with their family, their work, and this sparks their interest, so we want to be able to talk to them. There are people who are very experienced who have been, you know, maybe even uh, facilitators themselves that suddenly go, wow, this could be really helpful. So I think what I was saying to a group the other day, if I'm a psychotherapist or a coach, my client doesn't need to know everything I know. If I'm, If you're my client and I'm a therapist, I may at some point tell you certain things I see in you, but it's about you. It's about what's relevant, what will help you. And you don't need to know all the diagnostic categories <laughs> for, to be able to be helped by the psychotherapy or the coaching. Mm-hmm. It's the same with the Enneagram. We're in the business of teaching the Enneagram to other people, but generally speaking, if we're doing that, we're preparing other coaches and psychotherapists. But many of the people we'll be working with are not that, and that's okay in my view. Mm-hmm. Uh, if I'm talking with you know people on a team and an organization, I'm not there to tell them all the ins and outs of the Enneagram and its background and so forth. I'm there to see what I know and have learned and digested that will be effective for what they're dealing with. If I'm dealing with a couple, they're having a challenge in their marriage or their partnership, same thing. But, and this is a big but, (laughs) 
uh, and we'll keep Beavis and Butthead out of there. <laughs> um, this means to be able to do that as a facilitator, I need to know it inside and out. Mm. I need to know it in my bones. I need to know different theories. I need to know uh, what these terms point to in my experience. I need to have a history of me working with it so I actually have something to generate. I need to know the background of it because people will ask me about that. And so sometimes I'll hear people saying, why is it in business? I don't need to use it that much. My response is, I hear where you're coming from and you're wrong. You need to know more. You actually need to know more because you have to translate it to people in different kind of language. So if your incomplete knowledge of the system is not going to help you dealing with much more subtle nuances in dealing with people in a work setting where you're also, you know, let's face it, affecting their livelihood. Mm -hmm. So I think that it's, we're in a time where it's possible to have a deeper dive for those of us who want to present this, facilitate with us, teach it. We need to know and have a very rich relationship with the material experientially and cognitively and emotionally mm. uh, so that we can be, I would say, good ambassadors of what this is actually about. Yeah. I would say that. Any type of inner work requires a confrontation of versions of ourselves that may be uncomfortable or scary. Sarah Jane Case invites you into a poetic exploration of who you thought you had to be through her new book, The Enneagram Letters. You can find this creative approach to your personal development anywhere you buy books online or using the link in the show notes. So we were talking on the drive here and uh, we, we've had this conversation with Mario as well of mm -hmm. just consequences mm -hmm. um, and how a lot of Enneagram teachers um, and enthusiasts don't necessarily understand the consequences of what they're teaching because there's not a, there's not a, a business person with their livelihood on the line right. or we were just talking to the Enneagram prison project where that very real consequences on how you teach that and in what order you teach that if it works it will work if not they will call you out <laughs> like yeah. it's just oh yes right? I, i've gotten in those prisons with them and it's, <laughs> it's it's wonderful because there's no room to hide behind jargon exactly you can't pretend to know exactly. what you're talking uh, about right so it's you... very popular these days yes I, yes not just in the enneagram <laughs> right yeah right. So could you speak to that? Like, how do we how do we become more aware of the consequences of the of the ways we say things, of of the jargon, even? I would just say we need to look at how. Well, I'll back up a thing. People say really dumb things like words don't matter. I don't know who said that, yeah. but they don't live on planet Earth, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> words do matter, and the way we express things matters. And words have wounded us, and words can heal us. And you might look back at something you read or something that someone said to you that changed your life. And you can also probably remember times when people were kind of clunky or clumsy in what they said to you and it had an adverse effect. Mm. So I think looking at your own experience helps and setting certain intentions helps. So for example, when Don Riso and I we're working on the wisdom of the Enneagram, which has, I've got a lot of feedback that people have found value in that book. <laughs> Probably uh, a few, yeah. Right. Uh, but basically when we were writing it, we had certain criteria for evaluating what we were writing. And there were three things. One, 
Is it as true as we can make it? Do we know that what we're saying is true? Is it true in our experience? What's is as true as we can express it? And to not talk about things we didn't know about as another side of that. Mm. That's one. Two, is what we're saying helpful? There's a lot of things you could say about any of the Enneagram types and you're looking at what is helpful. For example, you know, when I see a lot of people teaching this, they're talking as if the people of that type are not in the room. It's like they're gossiping. Well, you know, when twos do this and it's just da, da, da. And when, when sevens are like that, you know, they're, you can't rely on them. It's like you're gossiping. Who's mm. mostly listening to you in that moment or that type, right? But this is just very sloppy, unaware teaching. When I am teaching, for example, I'm thinking of the people I love the most and I'm putting them in the room and they might actually be in the room. And, uh, I'm thinking, what can I say that would help those people? What could I say that would encourage them? What could I say that would give them a compassionate way of being with ways that they hurt themselves mm. and inadvertently hurt others, right? So if, if you're not conscious of that dimension, you're gonna screw up and people do all the time. But that's, that's a real growth edge for everybody. How to teach about this compassionately. You know, I've just seen such insensitive ways that people have presented the types. Like there was a period of time, like why would anyone ever want to be a three the way these people are talking about it? Mm -hmm. Why would anybody want to be a seven? They're just party animals, right? right? It's so far off the mark. And so that's the second criteria. Is it helpful? Is it healing? Is it something that's leading to development liberation? The third element is, is it, are we talking about it in a way that people can receive it? And there's different dimensions of that. One of them is you don't go into a room of nuns and talk about neurobiology. Well, you could, but it's not the best route. And you don't go into a room of neurobiologists talking about, you know, the Enneagram in overtly Christian terms. You could, but it's not very effective. So you're, it's what the Buddhists call expedient means, which is not manipulation. It's a sincere effort to communicate something of value to someone in, and you're speaking mm. into that person in a way that they can receive what you're saying, mm. which is not pandering and it's not just making it nice, but framing it in language or metaphors that are familiar to that person. I teach in a lot of different countries and a lot of different cultures. Mm. And for example, if I'm teaching in East Asia, I use different metaphors than I do when I'm teaching in say California or, uh, or Denmark, you know, it's just, different cultures. Mm. The other thing about this is that we're, what will reach people, there's always a sweet spot between what we can say that will have impact and break through something and that which will be only comforting. Like you can go into an organization and just stroke everybody's narcissism and charge them a lot of money and they'll feel good for a few minutes, but you haven't done anything that helps them. So it kills the second criteria. So it's all kind of in a balance, truthful, helpful in receivable language. Mm -hmm. And I think if we all work at that, we're gonna all be better at bringing this to the world. And that's all very practical and actionable and not particularly metaphysical. Mm. <laughs> if I could mirror back what I'm hearing too, is you're, you're largely talking about 
what it means to be responsible with this work and making it more inclusive. Yes, that's also true. Mm -hmm. It's a big part of it. And there's a couple angles to that. When I think, and I was talking briefly about this with uh, Peter in in the narrative school, you know, and uh, that you go in other cultures and you want to empower people to be facilitators and teachers within that culture. And that's true within here in the United States. We have a lot of diverse cultures here. So we want to have people in the black community who really know the Enneagram and can and can be peers and big brothers and sisters in that community, in the Latino community, in, in the LGBT community, et cetera, where there are particular needs and ways of looking at things. So when even when we're working and developing facilitators there, still our sensitivity to those cultures, to their values, to the ways that they might be different from my journey or experience becomes important. Mm. So, you know, there's the whole question of diversity and you know, I get a little bit out of the idea of empowerment because then you can get a little bit of thing like, well, I, I'm the big savior guy who's going to help you out. I don't want to mm. be that guy. Right. But it's, it's a way of weaving communication that people are going to find that empowerment in themselves in the same way I did. Like if if what I'm talking about, and I'm talking with someone in another culture, but something I say sparks their passion, their their interest in this, you know, then they're, they're going to go and, and build on that. But it's not like me coming in and just here, here, my child, now you are, you're getting the blessing, mm-hmm. you're getting the benediction, you know? Yeah. I mean- when you're a teacher, you're kind of going to get some of that from people anyway, but I don't want to feed into it. <laughs> sure. Sure. Uh, one of my favorite thinkers talks about being the last guru. Yeah. Of, of uh, the job for the last guru is to be the guru for a moment and then open the door for their student to just be their own person That's and not it. need the guru anymore. You hand it back. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You hand it back. Whatever you're seeing in me is happening because through my inner work, I have a certain transparency. And in that transparency, you get a glimpse of you. So what is looking shiny and wonderful to you, believe it or not, is not me. <laughs> it's you. Yeah. And and just if I'm good at what I'm doing, and that goes back to how we talk about it. You're handing it back to the students. You're One thing I will say that I learned from my teacher and friend, Hamid Ali, A.H. Almas, I implicitly trust that the wisdom is there in the person. Mm. My job is not to be wise for them, but to ignite their relationship with their own inner wisdom. Yeah. That's how I try to go about things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you were you were earlier, you were talking about the psychotherapist um, not communicating all of what that means, right? Yeah. And, and it's not that everyone has to even become a psychotherapist in order to do work. That's but, right. But what, we, what, you're, what I hear you saying is that what we can do is teach people how to access what it means to be more of themselves. That's it. Yeah. You know, if another metaphor would be a university. What kind of university would it be if only thing it did was produce professors for that university? Right, right. <laughs> that would be a weird university, you know, but we're yeah. supposed to help empower people for what their journey is. Yeah. Yeah. And some people will become professors at that university, right. but the majority probably not. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah, it reminds me of even just some of the value of um, 
more somatic wisdom coming out. Whereas sometimes it's really difficult to name the exact emotion I'm having. You know, there's the value of naming to tame, but sometimes it's just feeling the sensation. I don't know exactly, I can't label it sometimes, but just feeling the sensation is what brings the awareness to it, to process it. Yes, we need, as I tell people all the time, you need all three. There's no advantage in playing favorites with the centers. We need all three. Right. We need mm -hmm. our embodiment, our kinesthetic channel. We need our emotional channel. We need our cognitive channel. You don't throw any of it away. And ideally, as we learn to be more present and learn to see through some of this conditioning and patterning, there's a way that those intelligences start to work more in a coherent unity. And then, then you were on a roll with something. I also think that one of the things the Enneagram is good for is, is the process of integrating or actualizing is the traditional term. Realization is where you suddenly see some truth you didn't see before particularly about yourself. Wow, I thought I was this, but I'm actually more this. Or it might be seeing something you've been caught in and it might be seeing something wonderful about yourself that you hadn't ever been able to grasp or feel. But then the part two is you have to live into the implications of what you saw. And if that doesn't happen, it just becomes this pleasant memory of that time you were on a retreat. Yeah. yeah and it doesn't get integrated. So the yeah. Enneagram actually is more helpful for that if we use it that way. If. If. Yeah. yeah which is a big if. Big as you're if. saying. Yeah. As you're saying. Could you unpack the implications that you're living into? Like in a practical way, when you have this realization, when when someone has this realization about themselves. What are some of the potential implications? I think one thing is that you catch yourself in the act of going back into your fixation mm -hmm. or your historic judgments and reactions a lot more quickly. Yeah. That would be one. You know, the, the old joke is like one minute you're seeing the, the, the divine light in everybody and everybody's suffering and you don't know what kind of walk they're on. And the next minute, nice turn signal, asshole. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, where'd that come from? Right. right. But we also have to learn to be compassionate, understand these old programs are going to be sticking around till further notice. But if you're taking in the implications, you've got someplace else to go in yourself. You don't have to entirely yield yourself to those old reactions. Mm -hmm. You've got a chance of seeing them, recognizing them, holding them, letting them pass through, and choose another response mm -hmm. to the situation. Right. Uh, if you see that all is one, then are you gonna keep getting into the same negative merging with your life partner? Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. It's just, it's like, if, if all is one, then who is this person I'm having breakfast with? <laughs> right. and, and you have to really start yeah. to let, see, that's a right use of the head center, mm -hmm. where you're suddenly going, wow, I'm making up all kinds of things about what's going on here. What's actually here? Yeah. yeah. Unfiltered reality as yeah. much as possible. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. expanding capacity to be yeah. with that. Right. Right. Yeah. Yep. And if you're not living into the the implications, like you're saying, I think it's so easily to deceive ourselves. I love that analogy of you're moving around the deck chairs on the Titanic. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Looks like you're doing great stuff, but no. It's, it's, yeah. <laughs> no, and, and I think also a thing I talked about here, and this would be controversial in some circles, we were talking here the other day about essence and personality. Here's a big difference. Personality cannot mature. 
can only be rearranged. Mm-hmm. Mm. Like NLP is a masterful way of rearranging the structures of personality. Essence is what can mature and develop and grow in us. And you can tell, you can darn well tell somebody who has a certain maturation of being Mm -hmm. and someone who's merely clever. Mm -hmm. Oof. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, it's a big difference. It's a word. And so, you know, we don't have a lot of language for that. But the Enneagram really is not so much about just describing and rearranging our personality. There are other systems that do that just fine. It's, It's to sort of see the relationship between that part of us that is where that captures a lot of our attention mm-hmm. that we tend to draw identity from and that which is kind of static in a way versus the more organic part of us that can enrich, mature, develop, grow. So the Enneagram is more about, to use old fashioned language, soul maturation mm-hmm. than it is about ego polishing. So as we close out here, where can people find more of your work? Well, I think the easiest place is I have a uh, a website these days, and it's it's real easy to uh, to remember. It's russhudson.com. <laughs> Pretty simple. <laughs> and all of my uh, new programs and teachings are going to be there. Uh, I'm going to be offering online courses through that site. Uh, there are links to uh, the Enneagram Institute, which is you know, where I worked for years and mm-hmm. has the, the ready test and other things. But I'd say, yeah, just russhudson.com. You'll, nice. If you sign up, you can find out where I'm hanging out these days. Great. Where in the world <laughs> you're going to be. Where in the world I'm going to be. <laughs> um, and then final question, yeah. um, as we're kind of, I sense this approaching shift into the next generation of Enneagram teachers. Yeah. What is your your hope for this next generation of Enneagram teachers? that you wish them to carry on more fully than what has been done in the past? Notice the pause, because that's a very profound question. Well, the things that I was talking about, about communication would be one thing that, you know, being more skillful in communicating it, to communicating to different communities, to so using it as a tool to support people's flowering and maturation instead of just categorizing people. In my view, the Enneagram either shuts things down, I'm this and now I know, or it opens things up. Wow, here's what I identify with, but what else is here? If people could be examples and teachers of the latter, this thing will start to do much more of the good that it's here to do. And I, like I also said, to to the the knowledge about it has come more into the light. It's more clarified. There's more coherent history. There's more, you know, ways we can contrast the the ideas and theories about it. So just taking time to sort of really discern what's helpful, what helps us develop, what helps me develop. And then to be an ambassador of that by living it, by again, living the implications and being a good example of what I'm talking about. Yes. You know, if I'm talking about getting out of fixation, it's a really good idea to not be doing that from my fixation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to the best of our ability. Yeah. To the best of our ability. <laughs> yeah. Amen. Yes. 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 Russ, thank you so much. Thank you, Major. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Great to be with you. Mm-hmm.